Welcome to A Free Solution. I'm Kevin Wilson today, joined by Tim, the Freedom Marion O'Connor. What's up, brother? How are you? Oh, living the dream. Living that dad life is what I'm doing. <laughs> that's, hey, you know, that's why we're 23 minutes late to starting the show. Not that we mm-hmm. ever start on time anyway, but. No, we're usually starting a few minutes late anyway, but, uh, you know, I have a toddler doing potty training, wanted to get up, go to the bathroom. That's how it goes. Yeah. Um, but. In the wider world of things going on, we have a bunch of stuff happening today. Um, a a new set of democratic reforms that will effectively subsidize NIMBYism, which is amazing, um, and get in the way of both building things like housing and also get in the way of building things like wind turbines and, and stuff like that, too. Yeah, so, this is great. Yep. Good times. Yep. And then... Uh, an interesting article that you uh, brought out about uh, growing your own food. Yeah, good times, Kevin. They, they, they're they studying the fact that, look, you and I have talked about it, man. We'll talk about it more on the show. Growing your own food is a, is a hard little side job that doesn't pay at all. But, like, thank God the government, you know, now has evidence accumulated. Um, I mean, they can crack down now, like, to save yeah. the environment. You people Just growing your own food? destroying the environment your carbon footprint is massive just massive stop doing it immediately if you have seeds throw them away shop in the center of your grocery store just fill yourself with sugar like it's that's the future tim tim slow down you're going too fast down the slippery slope buddy (laughs) i'm just saying man this that (laughs) set me off and look, I wanted it to be fake. I th- I wanted it to be a mocked up kind of joke. It's not. It's yeah. not, Kevin. So, um, yeah, so <laughs> we'll talk about that. We'll talk about uh, like UAP preparedness. So we'll also talk about what's going on in uh, Jordan and continued escalations over there. Yeah. In the uh, in the Middle East and. Um, and uh, maybe more, you know, it's one of those shows maybe where more. I've got. We got I know you, you got, we got a bunch of stuff. There's, there's, there's a bunch of stuff we could talk about out there. Um, but we'll see what we get to in our regularly allotted show. And, uh, of course, leave your comments. Love to hear from you. And, uh, any, any good ideas, additions to the story, you let us know Weigh in. Maybe we'll read them on air and on the show. Appreciate everyone who's already in here already. Patricia, Shelly, John, you guys are great. Thanks for being here. I think we're going to go in in three, two, one. Now, an hour of clarity for exhausted people of our nation mired in toxic partisanship. Left versus right, us versus them. While we pay to keep our politicians fighting, how do we, the people, rise up and solve the great challenges of our time? We do it by embracing freedom and liberty. There may be no such thing as a free lunch, but this hour is as close as it gets. Welcome to A Free Solution. Welcome to A Free Solution. I'm Kevin Wilson today, joined by Tim, the Freedom Marion O'Connor. I'm here, Kevin. How are you, man? Living the dream, Tim. Living the dream. How you doing? I'm hanging in there, man. You know, it's, it's been an interesting week in news. I don't think that there's any way one hour it's going to be able to, for for us to cover all the things that I'd like to talk about and chit chat about and break down and 
having interesting it, conversations about, but man, Tim, I mean, it never does. We, we, we only got so much news hole that we can fill and that's yeah. what it is. But of course, if you listen on WYSL, we're going to, we're going to talk, we're going to do our three segments thing, but we also talk during breaks, stuff that doesn't get uh, heard on the radio and sometimes continue talking afterwards. So make sure you find our podcast. Just look for a free solution, wherever you find your podcast. And we got, we got a little bit more show in there. Usually, usually we go for a full like hour and a half. So. And we sometimes use swear words and my rants are slightly more epic and less reserved. And, yeah. and t- Kevin t- is, folks, Kevin Tim is, is holding back during the show. Yeah. I'm hold- guys. I know you might, might find that hard to believe, but I am literally holding back during the show. Absolutely. Um, but we got plenty of stuff to talk about today, um, as Tim said. And so, so Tim, where are we going to start? You, you're you're already getting fired up during the pre-show about uh, the the growing your own food thing. Maybe we'll start with that. We got we got that. We got subsidizing nim- nimbyism, UAPs, bunch of bunch of stuff. Um, you want Kevin, you want to do the food thing? Yeah, let's do the food thing, man. I, I, an article dated January twenty second, written by Joe Pinkstone. In the Telegraph, and it broke on Yahoo News, the carbon footprint of homegrown food, five times greater than those grown conventionally. Uh, growing your own food in an allotment may not be as good for the environment as expected, a study suggests. Um, a study from the University of Michigan looked at how much CO2 was produced when growing food in different types of urban farms and found that on average, a serving of food made from traditional farms creates 0.07 kilograms of CO2. The impact on the environment is almost five times higher at 0.34 kilograms per portion for individual gardens, such as vegetable patches or allotments. And I presume allotments means maybe you're you're a big city guy. What do you what do you mean by allotments? Is that like your little neighborhood community garden? What is that? I mean, that's uh, a way to put it. I mean, we, we have a community. I, I'm, I'm part of a community garden, actually, which is yeah. a nice little thing, right? It's not, but, not uh, once the city of Rochester gets a hold of this study, pal. No, I know. Oh, yeah, we got to shut it down for climate. Re- I mean, we, we've, I, we've talked about the garden a little bit on the show before. We're, uh, I've uh, clashed a little bit with the city where we disagree about how much the lawn should be mowed or, or whatever, right? But um but yeah, either way, I mean, I think growing your own food's a, a great thing. Um, but yeah, Tim, you, you don't like this. You're, you're worried that like they're going to take evidence of this and do what? Well, arguably, I'm not so much worried that they're going to do something. It's the, the way that, first of all, as, as I've mentioned many times before, I'm a little bit familiar with statistics. I think that this study does, doesn't really take on the issue of, of, what I would call the the statistical knowledge required to make the bold statement that growing food in a garden at your house it uh, cre- creates a five times a carbon footprint of food grown um, in a more conventional agro farming kind of situation. Um, that would be my number one critique of this. Uh, number two, I think that Kevin and I, I look. I think that everybody feels like they're slightly under assault from climate change alarmists. I think that basically no real metric is offered in this thing that what if we did, let's just say, what if we did away with, you know, every, we made a law and everybody followed the law and they stopped growing their own food uh, in, you know, urban gardens and allotments. 
what would be the net effect uh, percentage change percentage reduction in the carbon produced in the world in all of the the manufacturing and growth processes like my guess is, is that it would be statistically insignificant does that make sense the if people stop growing their stuff it'd be statistically insignificant yeah if we were only buy food from in the most carbon neutral ways like produced in the most carbon neutral ways which i'm presuming is like medium to large size agro farms right and okay so you mean like from from like a carbon output perspective yeah from a carbon output perspective what would be the impact when if people were to stop growing food yeah, I mean, at this point, probably not a lot, mostly because a lot of people don't grow their own food, though. Um, I, Kevin, I, I'm telling you, I think it would be insignificant. I think that even if the, the the article as presented is, in fact, accurate, that somehow, there, and I'll get to it later, they do make an interesting point, but that somehow growing lettuce in a garden near your home in an urban area is five times produces five times the carbon emissions of food grown out in the agro business kind of world. If that's even true, like, would it be significant? Is it a statistically significant source of carbon? Yeah. I, I mean, probably not. it like, it probably really doesn't matter. And, and it depends on what you grow too. Like you, you go down into the article and it says like fruit was found to be 8.6 times more eco-friendly when grown conventionally compared to in the city and vegetables 5.8 times. But then you go down as like, well, but asparagus and tomatoes are actually like have a lower carbon footprint. Uh, if you grow them in your backyard. Yeah. Because right. they, they fly asparagus around the world for people to consume. Like that's the, the issue. Kind of and, like, and if you want to grow asparagus in New York, like you, you basically got to do nothing and it'll just keep showing up every year. Like you just, yeah. just got to go, go out and remember to cut it before it like shoots up too far. Look, I think it's kind of this, um, I, I want to call it pseudo intellectualism, this kind of study that actually has no real relevance and no real meaning. And yet somehow makes a big, I, huge headline. And actually, maybe, the fact that it's people reacting to it so negatively is what makes it a headline. But the fact that somebody funded this study, like either a Monsanto or some climate alarmist group funded a study to, that started with the supposition of, Maybe. hey, let's take on, you know. I mean, so like, you, you know, like the, the immediate group I thought of, like it wasn't like, you know, folks like you necessarily. It, it's kind of the left wing hippies who are like, oh, man, we're going to fight big corporations by growing our own food. And it's going to be great. And I'm going to be carbon neutral by like doing everything myself and do it, doing it organically. Like I actually thought of that type of person who yeah. like they, they put on, you know, um, well, they virtue signal about how good they are because they're not buying from big corporations who are polluting like the environment and they grow everything themselves. But like in actuality. They they probably are like again to me like I don't actually care like if you want to grow your own food and you want to do your thing you should be able to do that full stop like it doesn't matter right right um but it, it probably is more work the thing is professional farmers are really good at what they do they're super efficient at what they do they have like massive pieces of equipment and yeah like a tractor um is gonna use some fossil fuels to do its job. But how much, you know, fossil fuels are you going to use to gather all of the supplies to grow a garden in your backyard? Probably a lot more. And that's fine. It's your right to do that. Yeah. Farmers are really good. They're very efficient. That's why they make a ton of cheap food to keep people in the U.S. fed. Right. Like, that's why we have an abundance of food here is because farmers are really good at what they do. Um, yeah. I, I and, think- and so, like, that that's kind of how I, I look at that. Like, I, like I know I know, like, how you're looking at but, like, I look at that as, like, 
farmers have gotten really good at making stuff like very efficiently and i get to benefit from that abundance i absolutely agree with that but there are people that think that they're and and i'm you know you can kind of put me in that camp where people like who want to grow their own food a it's rewarding b there is a possibility that modern farming tactics and fertilizing and and you know phosphates and stuff like that being used in food production are are not as healthy for us as keeping an eye on our own patch of food now i buy 99 percent of my vegetables and stuff like that from a grocery store i do get some stuff from farmers markets like i'm i've i've had gardens in the past i'm not recommending you take on the the work of a garden but i i find that this this kind of um and again i'm going to call it pseudo intellectualism even though that that's repetitive at this point that that i i find it to be unnecessary an unnecessary discussion about people growing their food like they're, they're like, i mean like <laughs> tim you, you got a bunch of government money and you right. gotta study something with it. Yeah. Tim, like come on what are you what else are you gonna do <laughs> yeah i mean look and here's here's um our friend john offers a comment that uh, John Thuman, I'm oh, on. Um, you know, I was like, can we go through this show without talking about Taylor? Uh, we'll read the comment. We're we'll talk about Taylor Swift. My God. Yeah, John, but here's here's the juxtaposition that pops up in everybody's mind when we see articles like this. Like we see a, a group of rich elites. Um, so, well, let's read this because the, the oh, folks yeah. listening on WYSL do not know what comment you've put on our video screen. Okay. John, John on uh, YouTube says, but Taylor Swift flying her, her private chat to see her boy toy play a game is not a carbon issue. Uh, right, right. We I mean, don't see articles about that almost ever. And when 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 we do see them, they're from right attacking the left. And occasionally you'll see the lefties do that and uh, they're insufferable too. So, yeah, there's a certain amount of like, if we're going to virtue signal about about carbon, shouldn't we stay out of private jets? Shouldn't we take commercial flights? Shouldn't isn't that the least that we can do? I don't know. Is Taylor, I guess she does do some stuff on environmental causes. I, I don't even know. No, I don't think that the point is so much Taylor Swift or anything like that. It's the issue of if we're going to attack massive car- carbon expenditures or if we're going to be paranoid about co2 why aren't we paranoid about the john Kerry's, the taylor swifts of the world they don't even necessarily have to be involved in directly advocating for the environment why aren't we taking a look at the elites who are burning massive amounts of carbon with five houses like if it's a real issue why aren't we taking a look at them i, I mean, think that that's the basis of the, the, the the lefties are to be fair they are they're not you poking know. their fingers at John Kerry. They're not poking their fingers. Oh at no! Uh, well, if you go far enough left, they absolutely are. You go far enough left, they're on, on the eat the rich left. Um, Give me those they, they, people, man. I love those people. Bring them to me, Kevin. You, you, I can the, uh, them. Uh, any, anyone with more than a million dollars should literally be eaten because rich people shouldn't be allowed to exist. That's oh, um, that's a little extreme. No, no. <laughs> yeah, yes, no. Okay, at least they're philosophically consistent. I'll give them that. That's fine. They. <laughs> That they are, they, they are consistent, you know, eat the rich. Yes. Yes. Bernie Sanders too. eat him as well. Okay. Okay, guys. Uh, good conversation folks. Um, no, but <laughs> so I think we captured the, the essence of what I'm getting at, that there's a real frustration out there in the world that, and, and I feel the frustration with the climate alarmists that there's a, a dense amount of hypocrisy going on that 
people growing their own food, even if we outlawed it, would not positively impact carbon emissions in the world at all, right? Like one jet flying around the country for Taylor Swift probably equals all the carbon burnt extra for growing your own like rutabagas. You see what I'm saying? Like if we were to do a real comparison, that would be an effective one. This one is just silly, though. I do like some of the things that they offered. Like I like the notion of, you know, tomatoes grown in a greenhouse. If you grow them at home, you're probably helping your carbon footprint. Like, okay, that's a fair point. Repairing old stuff instead of building new stuff. That's probably a way to mitigate your carbon footprint. That's something that I do pretty regularly. So like, but overall, the article is a mass negative. And I like, I don't. I don't actually. See, I, it, it, I did not see it nearly as negatively as you did. I, I saw it mostly as like, hey, if you want to reduce your carbon footprint, like this isn't necessarily the way to do that. Um, you know, you can do it. It's just this isn't really going to make the impact you think it is. Right. Um, I saw it as attacking an independent mindset, like where people are trying to step out of the the systems and say, these are things I can do myself, which I like that when people do yeah. that. You, you can, again, you could do that. Um, it was me, you know, like I, I know I'm not good at gardening. I'm just, I've tried growing stuff before. I, I will get, I'm okay at tomatoes. I'm okay at growing like sage and oregano and basil stuff. I don't have to tend too much to Yeah. everything else dies. It's just bad. Um, And I will buy my like greenhouse tomatoes that I can get fresh and tasty and like still on the vine. Uh, your, man, carbon put, your carbon footprint for those tomatoes, Kevin, I think that that would be an issue. No, see, here's here's the thing, um, you know, if they're grown in an area like this, uh, like where I live in Rochester, a lot of that is powered by nuclear power, and that doesn't have a big carbon impact, and like well, all the all the climate change folks, and, all the nuclear reactors in Germany, if that's not some sort of danger. Well, t- Tim, good news, Joe Biden is subsidizing nuclear power again. Okay, well, well, we, we, well Joe Biden is it. He ain't doing nothing. We, the taxpayers, are subsidizing nuclear power again. Uh, they're they're going to spend like a billion and uh, they're going to spend some money to like uh, open up new power plants in like uh, Michigan or something. I saw. So. Hey, you'll get no argument from me. Like the more yeah, power I mean, we have, the li- limitless amounts of electrical power is is what the future should be all about. And there are worse. There are worse ways to spend our money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure. Do do I want a private sector solution? And do I want tiny nuclear reactors that I can set up in my backyard? Because I think those are technologically possible where I sell electrical power to my neighbors at sure. That I think is a better yeah. way. Yeah. But, Tim is, Tim is that type of Yimby. The yeah. Yes. In my backyard. Like, in yes. My backyard, please. Yes. Like literally in, in Tim's backyard, he would like a, a small modular reactor. Um, yeah. And I think it, I think the technology is there. I live on a lake. I could rig it up so that if it starts heating up, I dump it into the lake and cools it right off. That's, that's how the Fukushima worked out. That's how the ships in, in Thailand work out. Like if, if it heats up, they dump it in the ocean, done, shuts it off, period. Yeah. No, that's that's what you can do. And and the 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 SMRs, they also have like the the shutoffs where like as soon as something goes wrong, it immediately hits the control rods. It's all mechanical, like uh, the all automatic sensor on it. Once that burns out, shut her down. Yep. So it goes. 
Um, I, I did just share an article if anyone's interested. Uh, and if you're listening on WSL, you just have to go check the Facebook page about that, which is, again, $1.5 billion to uh, restart a nuclear power plant in Michigan. Um, so I wish it wasn't that expensive, um, but yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's, it's how it is. And, and we're, like, we're going to talk next segment, too, about like environmental NIMBYism and like NIMBYism generally and subsidizing NIMBYism. But um, we'll save that for the next segment. And oh no, uh, I was going to make another point about the garden thing. Other than the fact that you know, again, I, I marvel at the technology, and I'm glad that like I can get awesome fresh tomatoes like grown in a greenhouse within a few hundred miles of me that are shipped fresh in the middle of January. For goodness sakes, yeah. Yeah, you, and now my kid, you know, he'll eat the fresh vegetables, right? Like, you know, yeah, he, he likes them because they're fresh tomatoes and they're like heirloom variety tomatoes that are sold at Aldi or whatever. Yeah. And look, I, I appreciate the fact that you kind of run a counter narrative to what my my emotional reaction to that story. Like, I think that that's that's important for people to hear. Although in this case, man, uh, the heck with those guys. Just the, the heck, heck with, with those them. guys. The heck with the big corporations. Me. No, man. I, I, I am, I am totally fine with corporate farmers. Like, you know, for me, me like, mo- you know, it's mostly great. You know, corporate farmers, small farmers, medium farmers, You know, like, yeah, but I'm okay all sorts of folks who are, and I'm okay with somebody having a patch of like rutabagas in their side yard i'm okay with all of it and i yeah, think you, you should probably- you can you, you want to grow your own stuff you absolutely should be able to do and i like i think you and i are 100 on the same page of like anytime like a uh, a government's trying to shut down like because you'll see that sometimes where people like not even just in hoas but like in cities stuff people will try to turn chunks of their front yard into like garden space and the city will get mad about it and, like oh no you gotta have grass like why you it's it's your lawn you should be able to grow tomatoes on it if you want to you know, yeah. and especially if they, they do start throwing out like, well, actually, it's more carbon efficient if you buy at the grocery store. Like, you know, by the time you drive to the grocery store, sometimes like it's it's probably not like really all yeah. that much different. Yeah, I don't, and they'll I don't say that's why you should ride your bike. That stuff very well, Kevin, that the, the, the massive amounts of transportation that go on in, in providing end use food, fresh vegetables to the consumer. I, I don't think there no, are. about <laughs> It, it is a bunch, you know. Again, it's 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 relatively efficient, but there's you know, uh, on that note, though, we are going to be great. Thanks again for joining us. We're going to be back. Shelly says the grocery store bags are perfect for bag gardening. Yeah, man. Like, are you thinking of the plastic ones or the the paper ones? But, um, but you can you can reuse that stuff. And again, that's what that article talks about. Reuse this stuff and recycled materials in your gardens. Uh, but yeah. this remind me of a. There's a story that came out in New Jersey where they did a study about the impact of the plastic bag ban there, like where they banned those single use bags, like they did in New York. Yeah, and they found that people were using five times as much plastic after the bag man because 
they would get those, you know, kind of cheap, uh, reusable bags from the stores. And, uh, you know, they use up a lot more plastic, like, you know, even the, like the cheapest, the thinnest ones are like six times as much plastic, often new instead of recycled. And yeah, people were using five times as much yeah, because they were only using them two or three times, even though it's five or six times the amount of plastic. I, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I, a, that was really annoying when they, when they uh, did that. And then B, like it was a source of like cleaning up around the house. It was a source of going outside and grabbing the dog poop for free. Right. Yeah. So now I've got to buy miniature bags to do that. And yeah, that drives me nuts. Like all the little like tiny trash cans in my house. I used to just like use like Wegmans bags for those. Yeah. And now, yeah. you know, I got to go buy special bags for all those like little garbage cans. Unless, I mean, takeout places still have it, but I don't get enough takeout where I can like do that. Yeah, correct. I have the same issue. I I'm, I was so frustrated with that. I also knew that uh, the externalities of them getting rid of those bags, that they were actually a very efficient thing for me, that I didn't just use them once, that they came in handy for multiple things. And then I also knew that I would not have bags when I needed them, and I'd have to run to the store and buy freaking tiny garbage bags because we were all out and I had to clean the yard. Yeah. Yeah. I can't no, wait it's... for spring, Kevin. Like the the mounds of <laughs> yellow lab hundred pound yellow lab you know no i know i have a hundred pound uh, black lab so that's he's actually i can hear him outside he's barking right now despite Great. the fact that it's 10 o'clock at night and what he's barking at but um i see some other folks out there uh alice says look for csas yeah that's another good place to to work i mean a bunch of different structures with those i used to get one here in the Rochester area that was just like a, a pay model and you know you just paid money got a box of random vegetables uh, once a week uh, okay hold on season. I don't know what a CSA is uh, community supported agriculture um, so basically it's like you you know like it might be like a farm share program where okay. like you just again pay um and then other times it might be like a like literally you go and like you spend a few days working on the farm. Um, All right. You know, there's there's different Just models like Venezuela out there. then. Yeah, <laughs> Venezuelan exactly. model. Uh, except for in that case, you have a gun pointed at you. You know, but the better because it's actual yeah. or implied. Yeah. But yeah. Um. And and I saw another comment here too about um. You know. Oh, Patricia, your friend rested for collecting rainwater a few years ago. Water garden with it. True Rebel is 72 years old. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think articles feel like an extension of that kind of governmental nonsense. Articles like the one we would just discussed feel like that kind of extension. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, we should probably get back to the main, pro Ooh, excuse me, the main program. Yeah, we and. And uh, we'll talk about, excuse me, uh, subsidizing NIMBYism. Yeah. Yeah, I want to have this conversation. Um, I don't have an article, so you're going to obviously, you know, I'll just reflect right. on what you say. I monopolize the first segment. You monopolize the second. All right. We're going to back in three, two. A free solution. Welcome back to A Free Solution. I'm Kevin Wilson, your host today, joined by Tim, the Freedom Barry O'Connor. 
I'm still here, Kevin. And and guys, I'm sorry I got so upset about that stupid garden article, but like, it's just people feel like they're in the crosshairs of this this in, it, environmental thing. These these environmental alarmists. Kevin, you have something that you want to talk about yeah. that also puts everybody in the crosshairs. I feel like. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. No. Th- so sometimes you are, and uh, you know I. Maybe I'll save this for after this segment, but I saw something from a local city council person uh, here in Rochester that I might want to talk about. But I'm going to save that for the bonus segment. So if you're listening on WYSL, you're going to have to listen to the podcast. Sorry. Just, just catch the whole thing. Where we, we, we talk about fun stuff in the breaks. But um, you know, I want to talk about the the subsidizing NIMBYism. Specifically, it's, a, it's around environmental NIMBYism because there's a, a new bill out there called the uh, – Clean Electricity and Transmission Acceleration Act. Now, Tim, if you're just reading the title of this bill, you know, as as, as one does, right? Yeah. You would assume that this is about getting more green energy and making it easier to transmit that green energy to the people who need to consume that, right? So to make sure that, like, the, the supply lines are there and the power resources are there to meet demands seems no, that, reasonable, that's right? That's what it sounds, sounds nice. Like. It sounds wonderful. Well, there, there's a good part of it, it says, and I'm going to quote from an article in The Atlantic at this point. It says, uh, the Democrats' permitting reform bill would fill the coffers of the groups that tie up projects. It calls for $3 billion in federal spending for the sake of increasing the capacity of nonprofits and local governments to participate in the environmental review process. And it requires the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission to pay the expenses of parties that want to intervene in regulatory proceedings but cannot afford to. In effect, the bill would subsidize objections to the projects that it means to accelerate. So basically, they're going to be paying for NIMBYism. Now, environmental yeah. review reform was something that like folks tried to tackle a couple years ago, right? Just because that's one of the biggest barriers to building absolutely anything is environmental reviews. And it can even be for stuff like like uh like wind turbines for solar panels for trains for uh for zoning reform my goodness like zoning reform got knocked down in minnesota because they objected that the zoning reform itself changing the law so that you could build more dense housing was not put up to sufficient environmental review to help understand the impact of allowing people to build their own stuff Oh my God, Kevin! It like it, it like there's there's so much capacity for built stuff tied up environmental reviews. Again, this is this is not like you know like uh, eminent domain type of stuff. This isn't like use permits. This is environmental reviews. Like how is this going to impact like the environment? And it and it's not even like like exactly something that's going to be a huge impact. Like so the zoning reform thing. It's it's filling out paperwork and holding community meetings and and now subsidizing the ability of groups to be able to bring more of these legal objections to make it difficult to build absolutely anything in this country. Yeah, so when you incentivize legal objections, what are you going to get? Like when you pay for legal obse- objections to projects, what are you going to get? Communism. Yeah, like, That's what you're going to get. Communism. communism. I mean, yeah, par- partially, right? Like, but like, like literally, like you're going to pay people now, like there will be a financial incentive. There's already incentives for people to be 
NIMBYs about projects and say, not in my backyard. Like, you know, I don't want this thing here, so we can't have this thing built anywhere. And now, like, you're going to throw money behind that? You're going to throw money making it behind making it difficult to do that, where, like, these nonprofits are like, oh, this is going to be a revenue center. We're going to make this part of standing up for the community, quote. Um, oh and, and so we're going to file stuff on their behalf just to, to make sure that these all the groups are represented, that historically underrepresented groups are going to have, like, the ability to make legal objections to this stuff. Like, it's – no, it's – it's it's gonna like again it's it we've talked about it before like how how expensive is it to like build like a mile of like a subway uh, of subway track in in New York City like compared to like any other major city in the world it's yeah. astronomically more expensive and this is part of the reason why there's a bunch of other reasons too but this is a big part of the reason why yeah it's just an amazing situation that we get into where it is so obviously bad and going to have like the opposite effect of what we want if we want green energy what we're subsidizing is people who are going to argue with green energy and <laughs> yeah that doesn't make sense to me <laughs> like that what we're creating this vicious cycle that can only end one way with us being mad at our neighbors and fighting over things that are actually good for us you know um, and so look, look, I get when communities don't want windmills, I don't get like only because there's, there's a, a, a broad effect of light flickering of, of sound and stuff like, but I don't get when people are worried about solar panels. I don't get when people are worried about nuclear power plants. And I don't get when people are worried about burning natural gas to make electricity. Like I don't get any of that part of it. So it's carbon, Tim carbon. Carbon. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. like we're carbon based life forms. And sometimes I think perhaps <laughs> the carbon they want to reduce is us, Kevin. <laughs> there we go. That's uh, that's your T-shirt T-shirt phrase there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like sm small uh, sidebar on this. Like, did you see that the, the Biden administration is making it difficult to export liquefied natural gas now? And they, they did it because of environmental reasons as well. Uh, I can't even keep up with the, the mental gymnastics that this administration puts the country through. And, and like, okay, please tell us more about this, guy. Yeah, like, well, like, guy, I don't have it up. I, I, I should have thought of this for uh, the, the show prep. But, but, like, roughly the outline is that environmental activists convinced Joe Biden that, like, we should put a moratorium on exporting liquefied natural gas because – the United States should set the example around um, making sure that we're reducing like carbon impact. Right. Problem is, is like, okay, we're exporting liquefied natural gas, primarily to Europe to make sure that like the Europeans have a replacement for the natural gas that they were importing from Russia, which now can't be pipelined in. And the Europeans had already very foolishly, some of them, not France, but like Germany shut down many of their nuclear plants. Right. Became dependent on, natural gas got cut off from natural gas had no way of getting it now and we're instead burning coal and or experiencing like power supply issues yeah. and the biden administration in their geopolitical genius said you know what we're gonna make this harder on them the the central europe isn't uh, unstable enough let's make this more difficult for them to get a natural gas resource that they need from the united states instead of building closer ties to russia like 
Yeah, you know, I mean, if you want violence, you get violence from freezing, hungry, uncomfortable yeah. people who feel poorer now than they were five years ago. It's going to radicalize more people. Yeah. Again, destabilize, you know, that country. Um, I mean, like, again, Germany's like, they're still doing okay, but like, man, stuff can change quickly when your factory isn't able to run or you're not able to heat your home. I don't know. Some of the green energy, like zealots in the, and it goes to that earlier earlier gardening thing. Like, it seems like they really hate middle class and poor people. Like they're like, we're taking on the 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 biggest spectrum of making poor people poor and and degrading their existence to the best of our ability. And for 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 what now? So they can't have heat in Europe because yeah. Like, all right, that look. I kind of lose my mind over these things. And, and so I lose, I get at a loss for words because the words that are coming to my mind would literally make a mess and they can't be broadcast on the radio. Like they are attacking the poor and the middle class all over the world to signal their virtue about carbon, like to set good examples. It's nonsense. They need to stop. They're hurting people. All right. And that kind of hurt, the kind of hurt that they're offering is what is leading to violence all around the world period knock it off how's that yeah no i mean like that you're, you're absolutely right and you know that it's that 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 type of mindset where it's is not even a, like an it becomes like a religious fanaticism yeah right like because it, it's is it doesn't even become about actually being climate neutral in some of these cases or trying to like do a little bit better in terms of like carbon output or like finding alternative solutions while making sure that people are taken care of or making those effective trade-offs to say, okay, we're going to try to do better by the environment, but also people come first, people's survival comes first, right? Yeah. No, instead, like they like it's this degrowth mindset that I, I I've said before is like one of the most dangerous and destructive ideologies that's emerging in both American and European culture. And actually, I'm going to read a tweet. I, I, I hinted at this at the beginning of the segment. I'm going to read uh, one of the tweets from my city council person, Mary Lupian, who said, well, quoting on Twitter, if we want change, we have to get uncomfortable. The truth is painful, but we must face the ugly in order to grow into something more beautiful, just and in alignment with how humans lived for thousands of years before we embarked on this failed experiment called, quote unquote, civilization. Oh, my God. She's a psychopath, Kevin. You yeah, should run against like, her. Like, literally just use that tweet. That should be able that should be enough to wake people up. But what I'm but afraid of is lawn signs. My goodness. There's, there's this mindset out there that what she says resonates with people who are filled with bigotry and hatred for their fellow man who who have taken on this this problem that that is only partially real as part of their personality and that they're they're living out their childhood trauma angry at the world and they have found a vehicle for it they found a religion they found a cult they found something that excuses their worst behavior and their worst sides of their nature i i I'm not even joking and I don't even want to make light of it. I want to somehow put an exclamation yeah. point on, it, you know? No, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's bonkers. It's, it's sick. And like, again, I, it's hard for me. Like, cause I, I usually try to give people the benefit of the doubt and think people have good intentions, but like, sorry, man, like if your, if your ideology, if your zealotry means that like people, but it's like middle-class and, but especially 
people who are poor are going to live like miserable lives, if that means that like your house is going to be cold, your children are going to be hungry. Why the hell would I get behind anything like that? It is insanity to me that like you would. And again, to be clear, that city council person was specifically talking about climate change and poverty. And they have this mindset like, oh, poverty is caused by capitalism. No, it ain't. Poverty is like the state of existence for mankind for most of its history. Until capitalism and, came along. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the status quo, like people have a like a, a status quo bias. They think like, oh, like most everyone lives relatively comfortable from what they can see. And poverty is the outlier. Therefore, this condition must have caused that poverty instead of like poverty used to be ninety nine point nine nine percent of the human population. And now it's a small fraction of that because of the world we built around and our solution to be to continue to grow to smudge out the last of the poverty that still exists and it's possible to do that if we don't fall back into fanaticism and this this ideology of like we have to live with less and we have to like make people suffer for the sins of of what we've committed to the earth or whatever that aren't sins but that was really yeah. well said kevin i like i like the way that you phrased that there and, and and how you put it together you captured the essence of the issue i do think that we we cannot understate nor overstate the the items of this philosophy that are actually cult-like like that they will just take on anything and say anything to justify and again, I think it, at its heart, it's this, this level of bigotry that I don't understand. And they, they're talking about poverty in the United States. And when we talk about real poverty in third world countries, like I just, somebody's got to fix these people and it's probably not necessarily going to be us, but it's no, got to happen. Probably. Maybe, you know, like who knows? Maybe, maybe one of our, our rants goes viral on Twitter one of these days, but probably not. But, you know, like I like I want to keep like, again, like this, this type of stuff, this thing specifically is not benign. Right. Like it like that. Like this. This is the the, the hill I die on, like the, the degrowthers, like they are like going to hurt people. Um, Not not them specifically. They just want policies that are going to kill. People exactly. Elsewhere where they yeah. don't have to look at it. <laughs> yep they, exactly they, they don't have to look at it they don't have to think about it but like you know if you make energy more expensive if you make it less accessible if you make our food systems more unstable like it's kind of a problem yeah um and 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 people will will, will die because of it um but on that leak note we are coming up on a break again uh, thanks again for joining us here on A Free Solution on WYSL. We're going to be back in just a few minutes. Talk to you soon. Cody Anderson says, I heart capitalism and free markets. Same, same, brother. Like right. they, it works. You you can make a living by serving your fellow man. You can make a living, yeah. you know, like by growing food. You, it's an amazing time to be alive. But it's an amazing time to see what the cult of personality and the cult of bigotry and the cult of climate change alarmists have done. Guys like John Kerry, like this guy made billions of dollars off of his positioning in 
the climate alarmism. And here we are. Like, all of his stuff, we're still kicking 20 years after he made a stupid movie. And it's like, uh, when are people John Kerry made it. It's Al Gore who made the movie. Who did I say? You said John Kerry. Ah, what's the him? Him too, but yeah, what's the difference really? <laughs> Same guy. The Democrats who ran for president, you know. Yeah, the, well, all... the the brain cells that store their faces are like right next to each other in my brain. Sorry about that. <laughs> Democrat ran for president against George uh, W. Bush. Yeah, close enough. Yeah, close enough. Whatever. John Kerry, whatever. Al Gore. Al Gore goes back to the Clinton era. Holy cow! You're right. I should I should have been better. Yeah, but um, let's see. Oh, a couple of these. Uh, Legacy Zach says my town has a community garden that looks sad. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how they do it in your town, but like in Rochester, I actually have a pretty good program for the most part. When I'm not fighting with the city about this, where like private groups or groups of individuals can just uh take chunks of city lots that like no one wants to like do anything with. And just like turn them into garden space, and that's that's actually kind of a cool thing. You know, it's like you know, Look, it's like, I I started laughing because I had this memory. And Kevin, you and I have joked about how you know growing our own food. We're not that good at it. But I grew up really poor, right? And uh, I lived down on a, a, a what's called the lower decks in Oneana, and they opened up a community garden. And um, I mean, basically, it was a disaster. Like my mom. Uh, God bless her because she worked. My mom was a hardworking lady, you know, and she'd come up with an idea. So we went and we got our plot at the community garden. And it was like, we'd have to go over there and weed it. And we'd have to go there and tend it. And I'm just like, I can remember even as an eight-year-old, I'm like, I am going to make money and buy freaking corn. This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Like I was so lividly mad. And we used to go pick blueberries. There was another one where I'm like, blueberries are a dollar in the store. Like I'm going to go make a dollar somewhere. Like this is, yeah. this is got to be easier to make a dollar than to do 45 minutes around the woods, blueberries. <laughs> picking blueberries. And, and look, I grew up to being like an outdoorsy guy, but those yeah. things though, like maybe because I'm a natural hunter and my mom is a natural gatherer, like who knows? Like, but still it was ridiculous. It was absurd. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. The community guy, like I said, like no, I, I I get it, and like again, like part of me, like there's part of me that's like, man, it, it's it's so great to like be able to eat something you've grown like directly out of the garden, right? And, like in the it is, feeling, it is. you know, like even if it's not even objectively that good, it tastes like the you know the best food in the world to you because like you worked and like made that thing, right? Yeah. And and I, like and I want like you know my my son when he's old enough to like make sure he gets to experience that too but but also you know i think about doing that or like you know uh i know it's i know this is a babylon b article too but i i remember like kind of busting my dad's chops a little bit because he had chickens and ducks and stuff which were cool like they were fun we had tons of like chicken and duck eggs but also i'm like pops you you spent like a thousand dollars on like chicken stuff something you could buy at the store for like a buck twenty <laughs> Yeah, and you can buy it from your neighbor for like three bucks a dozen. So like there's yeah. there is let somebody else do the chicken thing. That was actually to be fair to that article, that was kind of one of the points that I felt didn't suck that came out of the article. The, yeah. the arguments about carbon emissions were ridiculous though. No, but yeah, it's uh I mean like cause it because when I think of I think of uh, like the people who've done those experience uh, experiments where they're like 
okay, how can I make a ham sandwich, right? Like completely from scratch, right? right. Without using like any of this uh, supply chain. Like I'm going to like go and, and make everything I need for a ham sandwich. And like it ends up costing them thousands of dollars and like, hundreds of hours of their time just to make a ham sandwich to to grow the food, to grow the wheat, to process the wheat, to turn the bread, to raise the pig and slaughter the pig. And then, you know, like all this stuff no, just, just for something you could buy for, you know, a couple bucks somewhere. Yeah. It's, it's wild. It's a wild you know, fact of free market capitalism where everybody like, does a little piece of the puzzle and we all benefit. It works out yeah. really well. Let's anyway, I, I haven't mentioned iPencil in, in several months, so go read that if you're thinking about, like, producing some of your own stuff, too. Like, which, again, you want to do it, like, great to understand it, to feel good. You should be able to do your thing. But also, like, thinking about, like, iPencil and all the different, like, factors that go into, like, building something as simple as a pencil, um, it, it's it's pretty mind-blowing to think about um, how all that comes together with people voluntarily interacting with each other to build something that is both very simple and very complicated at the same time. Yeah. Now Shelly, Shelly seemed to have a little better experience than I did with, with some gardening at one time or another selling 500 years of corn at a nice profit and a decent price sold out in one hour. Um, though this one I could sympathize with, right? Part of turning 18, this is also from Shelly was never having to take care of chickens again. <laughs> you get choices when you're an adult and yeah, Chickens are chickens are a savage little beast. Yeah. Now they can be mean. Ducks also kind of mean. Yeah. They're um, nasty. Now do especially the, ducks the male ducks. The male ducks are... do the chickens kill the ducks? I can't remember. Uh I know with with my dad's birds, the ducks always bullied the chickens. Yeah. Uh especially if you got like a male duck, because those male ducks are awful. Yeah. Just they, <laughs> right. they are the worst. My friends were raising baby ducks and chickens and they hatched them together and they're like, one of them ended up all dead. Like, I can't remember which way it went, but it was, it was pretty sad because they were all excited. Like all the eggs opened up and they're raising them up in under a hot lamp. And then like they come home and like one faction, one tribal faction had exterminated the other tribal faction. Wow. <laughs> Even genetically. <laughs> Brutal. Uh, Shelly says geese are the worst. Don't have any experience with geese. But uh, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, I would say be thankful for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Nothing but bad reviews for geese. For geese. <laughs> they, they, they seem mean. Um, <laughs> they are, yeah. My, my experience with Canada geese uh, and any geese out in the wild seems like geese just, they, they, they just don't like people. <laughs> they, they, are, they are anti-people. <laughs> Definitely. Um, all right, we should we should get back to the regular show though. Um, and Tim, what are we talking about next? We we've got to talk about the fact that Kevin, we are completely unprepared for an attack from. Well, now it's finally called unidentified anomalous phenomenon. So we we've got to talk about what that word means. We've got to talk about how our, it's a big deal to our Department of Defense and guys. Like I'm telling you, invest in the military industrial complex. You cannot lose. That's right. Well, you know, it's uh seems to always make money. So that's Yeah, <laughs> yeah it does uh, really well with that. All right, let's head back in three, two. A free solution. Oh. 
welcome back to A Free Solution. I'm Kevin Wilson, your host today, joined by Tim, the Freedom Variant O'Connor. I'm here, Kevin, and, and we've got a big one. It, look, the most important issue in the world, like, aliens are, you know, out there strategizing their next attack on the United States. And look, we finally come clean. Our Department of Defense admits we are woefully unprepared for unidentified anomalous phenomenon kevin yes the 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 new fancy term for ufos sure sure but you know like i mean i think just six months ago it was on unidi- unidentified aerial phenomenon and that was an inadequate den- identification yeah. and it was un- before that it was unidentified flying objects they've got to keep it complicated but what they do know is that they need billions and billions and billions of dollars to prepare for whatever this may be. Yeah. Well, I mean, like sort of though, like it's not, I don't know. This isn't like totally unreasonable. Like it in the context of like, we just had a drone attack on a, we'll, we'll talk about why there maybe shouldn't be bases uh, all throughout the middle, but there's a drone attack in Jordan. And part of it was like, you know, they misidentified a flying object and didn't realize it was something that was going to be hostile. Yeah. And, and look, I think I think one of the things that's interesting about it is that there's for years now, for decades, there's been reports of like strange craft that can do like defy gravity. Right. That appear to be operated with some form of intelligence. So. I think the, one of the more interesting parts about this is that the government is slowly coming clean about the reality that there are things out there that they don't understand. Um, that part I like about it. Certainly, I'm going to be critical in advance of anything military-industrial complexity, but is is there something real here? Is there something that we as a society should probably take a closer look at? My issue is this, like, because a government will be the sole arbiter of truth on it. Will we ever really know the real story? So like, are they, are they going to be the sole arbiter of truth? I feel like there's a bunch of folks who are uh, pretty ferocious advocates of, of trying to uh, uncover truth in this situation. Maybe, yeah, but no one or, or sell them. stuff, whichever. And, and the CIA calls them conspiracy theorists, Kevin. So I don't know. They, I think a lot of people can't... call them conspiracy theorists. It's not just <laughs> CIA, but <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, no, I, I, I see your point. I take your point very well. Like, I get it. Um, and and so, again, we're getting to the point where we're at this, this confluence of things are happening that we can't put our eyes on. And as you pointed to the, the Jordan drone attack, now, how did they misidentify it? Was it just because it was shaped differently or was it like? Uh, basically the they thought it was a friendly drone they thought it was one of theirs um and then they didn't like double check that it's supposedly that that's that's what i last saw last i read about it so if i'm wrong about that sorry but that was what i understood it to be is that normally those things wouldn't be able to get that close they misidentified it as friendly uh because they had another drone that was coming in around the same time and uh and that's how i was able to to attack which you know unfortunately uh killed three soldiers and wounded 30 people uh so it's pretty bad it's a pretty yeah, awful and, situation and look, we're, we're going to um retaliate we are um 
where this is leading us to, and maybe we don't want to get there, but you know, we're, we're taking a, a pretty strong posture against Iran. That may be appropriate. It may not be appropriate. Certainly. I'm, I'm concerned as always um, when a Jordanian craft is allegedly backed by Iran. And that gives us an excuse to point our fingers at them. Um, but it could all be aliens, Kevin. Let's be honest. It'd be aliens too. I mean, we're not prepared for the aliens either. If we're yeah, not prepared for uh, Earth-based craft, then how are we going to be prepared for critters that are able to travel beyond light speed to get here and fly robots at us? I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I think Tim really the the key is that the military budget is not big enough, and um, you know they should uh, invest more in that after after we buy stocks. Well, Nick Nikki Haley would certainly agree with you. And even he, though yeah, even libertarian Kevin, Nikki Haley, like I, I thought she was, she was making a turn. We're Tim. gonna segue to that. I'm segueing to it. Hold on, hold on. Give me a second. Give me a second. My liber- my newest libertarian hero, Nikki Haley. <laughs> um, I'm just I'm just gonna cut that clip and like just play it at you. Oh constantly. my god, that would be great. <laughs> just let that go viral. Um, so look, yeah, there there's an issue of. As you're saying, many people are, are advocating that the Department of Defense and their budget is not large enough. Nikki Haley is one of those people. But, Kevin, what she did that was amazing, um, frankly amazing, because we do not see communication like this often enough from members of the, the political regime, whether you want to call it the Uniparty or whether you want to call it whatever you want to call it. Nikki Haley came out and said, hey. Tariffs are bad. I am going to get rid of tariffs. We're not going to be adding more tariffs. Tariffs are a bad idea. And she's like, she even went so far as to say, tariffs punish poor and middle-class Americans. And that's a ridiculous concept. Like, I'm I'm paraphrasing and probably adding a few words to make it more exciting because I was very excited that someone said it. But what do you think? Is she going to just turn libertarian and chase the uh, Libertarian Party nomination now? Ooh, maybe, you know, like, I, I think she could win. Like, let's just nominate her, man. Like, she, she's going to get us ballot access. Like, let's just let's just do it. You know, she's libertarian enough. Right? You know what would be a good ticket, Kevin? <laughs> it's RFK Jr. and Nikki. I knew that's coming. Like, honestly, we'd get 5% of the vote. I don't see, like, I don't see where principles should interfere with success. <laughs> like, let's be clear. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure that's both the Democratic and the Republican Party's motto. Um, so, if you can't well, beat them, join them, Kevin. That's that's the way right. I don't see why principles should interfere with success. Yeah. Um, and guys, that's that's a joke. Hopefully, that lands pretty well with all of you out there in 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 uh, the radio land and on Twitter and on YouTube and on Facebook. Um, certainly, there. Nikki Haley talking about terrorists was an exciting or at least interesting turn of events. Okay. Right. Um, she, she, she happens to be right on, on that. Yeah. Issue. On one thing. Great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's it's, it's that, it's that meme. The, the worst person, you know, makes a good point. Um, that's, that's, that's how I felt when I saw that. But, but again, she, she is right. And, and Donald Trump uh, and Joe Biden, are both wrong about how they use tariffs to 
attempt to protect American industry, but in fact, just throw more taxes at the American people. And I know he's saying, oh, these tariffs, they just go after foreign corporations. And no, they don't. Any anything that. Yeah, it just it just means that everything um, you buy is more expensive if it comes from overseas. That's it. And again, it, and it's not even like the end products either. Like a lot of times it's raw materials that U.S. companies use that end up getting passed along in the cost of their products. You yeah. pay it. You pay it every single time. Like you, you're you're paying more money. And even if it's like something that's completely made domestically, well, guess what? If the price of the competition goes up, the price of their products going to go up too because why wouldn't they? You know, that's – they. The, these companies aren't going to necessarily do the nice thing and just they might undercut their prices a little bit but you know if your competitor now has gone up 20 percent and is well above what you have to pay for your product yeah, why not go up a little bit more just to because you're still going to be lower than the competition and why not make a bit more off of it and make a bit more money yeah everything's going to go up that's what tariffs do they're a tax on the american people that's it. Full stop. It's not a tax on cor- foreign corporations. It's a tax on you. Yeah, I, I mean, you're hitting the nail on the head. I don't think that people understand the the impact of tariffs. And people, even Republicans and Democrats, need an economics lesson, right? Like a fixed cost like a tariff goes to the cost of the product that the consumer pays. The, the company is obligated to maximize its profit that that's their goal right so if if there's an increase in the price of raw materials or an increase in the finished product that they resell that is going to get passed along to the consumer they don't care if they sell less they're playing a percentage game and a numbers game that's it they that they have no concern about your pocketbook period if it costs more for them to make it costs more for you to buy full stop end of story and who who and then let's talk about the disparate effect on the middle class and the poor who who all of a sudden their aluminum foil is you know 27 cents more expensive that that and look that's a ridiculous you know example but like a rich guy doesn't care about that it's you that are it's going to feel it that every, every piece of aluminum thing you buy is now 27 cents more expensive like that's something mm-hmm. that comes out of your pocketbook that has a real impact on your life so full stop tariffs are bad knock it off and uh yay nikki haley go fight yeah win. yeah on, on just this issue just that issue yeah no nothing, nothing else, else. Like, i hope she loses okay. on absolutely everything else she said um, her, her aggressive war posturing, though, Kevin, is to protect Americans from having to go to war. So that's oh, great. Yes. <laughs> We're going to protect us from war by going to war. Okay. Yeah, okay. something like that is what she said. It's like Orwellian, that. how she's playing yeah. it out. Yeah, the, the Department of Offense that she's going to create, like, really makes me feel like it's, it's really about defense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Like typical yeah. Orwellian speak, that's probably what she meant. But she had to appease her MIC donors, so I get it. It's very circular, but now I know how to interpret what she's saying. Thank you. Right, exactly. All right, good. Now, now that we're all clear on, like, we're all we're, we're not going to go never, Nikki. We're we're we're, just, we're all in. 
with yeah, uh, Lynn. With Wait, just... if we go all, all in on Nikki, though, that means we're really never Nikki in the way that Nikki communicates. Do you see what I'm yeah, saying? Exactly. Yeah. No, it's it's all very clear. It's, it uh, is clear. <laughs> um. No. Anyway, we, Tim, how did we get go off the rails so much? I think we burned through like six topics. I love it when we do that though, because it's fun and we get to like have impulse comments, which, which, you know, and we even worked into the fact that RFK after my joke last week of him not being a real libertarian may in fact yeah. be the only real libertarian presidential candidate in 2024. That's I, I did see that, that he he's talking about running for a nomination and it's, yeah. you know, usually like usually what happens in the cycle of like libertarian presidential politics is that like someone will throw out some famous person's name, right? They're like, Ron, Ron Paul's totally going to run again. Right. And like, yeah. and like we're going to get him again this year and then, then he's going to win. But RFK Jr. Uh, I, he, he's actually talking about it and said, he's had some talks uh, with the Libertarian Party he has a good relationship with them, and he's apparently going to be attending the California Libertarian Party convention, which is a bit controversial. There's uh, some uh, controversy over that. Not not just because his ideas are about as, I'd say, uh, yeah, about as close to libertarianism as Nikki Haley's are. Like, it's not, not all that much. Sure, closer. on the whole, yeah. Yeah, like in different areas. Yeah, yeah di different different ways, but like he, he's he's not really all that close to like libertarians ideologically. But I know there's other stuff going on where some candidates have been having trouble getting into debates, but they're having a whole thing for RFK Jr. And so they're working that out in California. But I know there's a temptation. Go ahead. I didn't even know that there were libertarians in California, to be honest with you. There are. Well, people say that about New York, too, Tim. I know. Like, <laughs> I felt it was out. fair. I just wanted to get it out there. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they're out there. They're out there. Um, yeah, in, in Lars from uh, California, I thought he was. Yeah. But but uh, but yeah, I, I, there, there's a temptation with not, not seriously with Nikki Haley, but but seriously with RFK Jr. to say, well, maybe he's famous enough and has enough money to get on the ballot and get ballot access. And uh, that's that's going to be the temptation sure. that the Libertarian Party faces this year. Um, I, I, to, to be fair, that was the same argument for Bill Welt. I was just going to say, I feel like we've tried this in the past. We, and, um, it, it has, in fact, been tried. <laughs> and I'm just saying, like, yeah, Gary Johnson was a great candidate, but Bill Welt was a backstabbing fool. And, like, I don't I don't think it worked out that well. Just want to no, I just want to put that out there. When when great, I, I'm, I predict it's going to work out roughly the same way. Uh, good good luck, Libertarian Party, on making that decision. <laughs> well, what what I what I'm seeing is that is that Libertarian Tim, delegates that know that are going to be delegates at the Libertarian convention are like, it's it's a no from me. Um, yeah, and and on, honestly, like I said, Kevin, I developed some relationships with some RFK supporters who are also like. It's a no for us. So, yeah, right. But anyway, we have to end the show now. Thanks again for joining us here on A Free Solution on WYSL. We're going to keep talking a few minutes afterwards. You can join us then on the podcast. But have a great night, WYSL audience. Take care.
Yeah, no, it's interesting. I've, I've seen some of that too, though, in terms of like Mises people, radicals, like the 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 pragmatists. They're all like, mm, "That's no for me, Doc. That's uh, we we do not want RFK <laughs> RFK in there." Well, he, he. So again, we've talked about it in the past. I like my RFK friends. I like the fact that they are less hostile and less cultish than Team Blue and Team Red devotees. Okay, and guys, this is with all due respect to you guys. Some of you guys are caught in a cult. You don't know it, and. That's okay. But if you're here listening to Kevin and I and I offend you, we can talk about that. Like, it, it's all right. You should be offended by what I'm saying because I am calling into question your entire belief system. But if we have a good conversation, I can fix you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. But anyways, where I, I, maybe, I got maybe he'll be more there. libertarian if we just nominate him and, like, he adopts the party line and... And then we can get some stuff done, you know, and that's. It's not going to happen. He's an independent, but he's a Democrat. He's a big government guy. He's libertarian on nothing other than. Well, I'm comfortable with his positioning about the way that the COVID tyranny was implemented. All right. I, I think that he's been right and fair and on point there. Um, Yeah. Well, like, like I think, like overall, like that, with with that point that I know, like you have some agreements with him with, but he he occasionally arrives at libertarian points, but from often the completely opposite direction, right? Like we've talked about it, like his his like I am against the people in charge now, uh, and therefore we need to do this other thing, and that thing might be something that libertarians agree with, but like his solution to that, his premise for that is the wrong people are in charge. And like different people need to exercise power in the way that I'm looking for. Whereas libertarians say we need to remove the government's ability to exercise that power over others. Right. And that's even going to war, man, Congress needs to do its job. Um, I feel like they, they are underrepresented against the executive branch and they did that to themselves. Like, and they can fix that. Like that's their job. They can fix the disparate power of the executive officer to respond to crisis. Like they could, and they don't, and they would rather lecture and gesticulate on Twitter. And that that's very annoying to me. It's very disappointing. There's Mike Lee based Mike Lee, like that's his Twitter handle. And, and Thomas Massey are saying, guys, we have to, this has to come back to Congress. This, you guys cannot make these these decisions without talking to Congress. And they're like, yeah, we can. <laughs> and they do. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there's exactly. an argument yeah, right. about the War Powers Act, empowering them to do it, and, and other authorizations of the executive branch to defend us and to fight terrorism. So all they got to do is say, hey, we're defending America and we're fighting terrorism. And they're like, they can do whatever they want. That's not okay. Right. That's that's not how a free society is and a free and accountable society is supposed to operate. Yeah. And, and the War's Power Act, like, ironically, gets abused so much because they like executives kind of use it as like, oh, we basically have a free pass to, like, go and engage in the conflict for 60 days, um, except for like. Day. And I get yeah. it. They they can get away with it. They can make that. Yeah. Happen. 
it yeah. is, and it like is is meant to say like, okay, the president can respond to stuff quick, but then Congress needs to like get involved, and like they need to notify Congress so Congress can make a decision on whether or not to stay involved. But the executive branch has the ability to respond quickly to conflicts. Okay, right. But how it ends up getting used is that the president and the, and the military will sometimes get us into conflicts in ways that may not actually be necessary to defending U.S. or allied interests. And now suddenly we're in a thing and they're like, well, we can't stop now. We've already started this. Like the, the conflicts already like grown. That, that, right, that's right. that's basically the story of Libya. Like that that's what happened there is President Obama, who was an anti-war like senator. Crusader. He was a liar, yeah. but he was an anti-war crusader. He was going to close Gitmo. He was going to do all these great things. He was. He, he sounded better than most libertarian candidates nowadays. He, like, yeah, legitimately, like he he was really good on that stuff. Like running for president in two thousand eight, and then when he had the chance to call the shots, like one of the worst presidents on abusing executive power. Yeah, yeah. Well, he just sounded cool about it. <laughs> he's, he's he's so cool. Oh my god, so cool, thing. Kevin. Did you uh? I think that the CIA might have run out of money and they seem to be defunding Operation Mockingbird all over the country. Oh, they did? Yeah. Well, I, I have not heard about this. Uh, <laughs> there's Basically, there's been on Twitter, there's been big news. Um, mass layoffs at LA Times and several other journalistic outlets. <laughs> all right. So I'm just can, saying. You can it, hear the quotes me, on that one. It looks like the CIA is defunding Operation Mockingbird finally. That's I get it. One, right? That's a good one. Putting Can't it together, laugh. putting it all together. Yeah, uh, I figured it out. Yeah, I want to get this one. Patricia asked a, a question about that stuff. What would that mean for him on New York's ballot? Uh, RFK Jr. Uh, we don't have a libertarian line. Uh, so, so how how it works? Just to, to answer this question in a straightforward way, is that no, the Libertarian Party does not have like a guaranteed ballot line, but the Libertarian Party would try to petition to get on the ballot as an independent um, nominating committee and then take on the Libertarian Party of New York name if it were to gather enough signatures to get on the ballot. Um, if whoever gets on the ballot as a presidential candidate, um, if they get, what was it now, uh, 5% of the vote in yes. the, the general election, then the Libertarian Party gets a ballot line, which means that instead of having to collect uh was it like 45,000 signatures to get yep. a statewide independent uh, nominating committee candidate on the ballot? It would only have to collect a fraction of that among the enrolled voters of that party. So like when I ran for Congress back in 2020, um, oh, and Cody's uh, thrown out some corrections to me, 60,000 signatures, 160,000 votes to get ballot access. I thought 60,000 was more like you need that to be safe, not the actual requirement, but maybe I'm, I'm incorrect. I thought the bottom line requirement was 45. I hope Cody corrects us or explains it better because uh, uh, Larry explained it as 45,000. Yeah, like you probably do need 60K to be safe because yeah. what will happen is that the signatures will get challenged, you know, Sometimes just because someone like writes their address funny, uh, and, and Cody says correct, okay, right. Um, and and so, like, realistically, because that's why, like, with, with like Larry's campaign last time, like, a bunch of signatures got thrown off, and that that didn't help, sure. Um, 
And so, and, and that, and that'll happen. But like when I, when I ran for Congress, I think I had the, I, actually it was a weird year cause it was 2020. Uh, I, I think I was supposed to have collected like only like 200 some odd signatures and then they cut the petition period short and I only had to collect like 60 signatures and I had like a 120 or something. Nice. Um, you know, I was like, I was fine. We were like well on our way to like getting ballot access because 200 signatures was not that much. Um, and Cody says 130,000 votes or 2% of votes cast, whichever is greater. All right. So sorry. Got that number wrong. I thought it was 5% for some reason, 2%. Yeah. I, I think there's something about to get federal matching funds. You got to get 5% of the vote, 5%, which yeah. is, feels a little bit ironic, like libertarians in the game to get federal money, like feels weird when we talk about it like that, but it would certainly be nice. So how much money do you think it would take to get, an RFK or a presidential candidate guaranteed 60,000 signatures in New York. Like how much money would it take? Uh, I, I'm going to guess, you know, what, what's, the, what's the going rate? Depends on where you are, but something like $5 a signature or something. Sure. You can't, you can't bank that in New York because you can't pay by signature per se. Yeah, no. Like it, when I say $5 per signature, I mean like, how much it's going to take for someone to go out hourly and collect signatures. Yeah. Right. So for a paid petitioner, some paid petitioners, it's going to be a lot less than that, depending on what you pay them. And they're going to go out and collect 15, 20 signatures an hour, and they're going to be good. Um, Yeah. I, I, the figure I came up with was like probably like $300,000 at least. Cody yeah, says I was, I was to going for a million um, because I was thinking it would be $10 a signature in the current inflationary environment and we'd want to get double that. So it would be 445,000 signatures times 10 times two puts us at yeah. $900,000. That that's what I yeah. think the number is. No, that's it, it's probably about right. And and I remember so I remember having this conversation. It was me and Phil Ricky and uh, Jesse Lenny, who is uh, who used to be in the uh, in, let's say in charge, but he he was heavily involved in the Working Families Party in New York, and we were all like just kind of talking um, before I went on WXXI because we were talking about like third parties and stuff. And he's like, "Yeah, you know, like frankly, like the ballot requirement, the signature requirements end up being like a money thing because everyone just pays for signatures. They pay for petition collectors. You can do volunteers." But usually that's not enough and it ends up just becoming how much can you fundraise to like make sure that your voice gets heard and put on the ballot. He didn't say yeah. this on there, but, you know, like it, we, we, we're having a conversation about it. Um, and, you know, that it, it's true, though. That's that's kind of what it ends up looking like is it ends up being just a cost instead of like paying a fee to get on the ballot. Like the fee is we pay petitioners to go and collect signatures to make sure that they can get on the ballot. Yeah, I, I think it's a shame, but it's also a reality that that free speech costs money. Um, so, yep. anyway, did, didn't want to. Yeah, it did, didn't mean to like spend too much time on the mechanics of the Libertarian Party. But, you know, the question was asked and, you know, we wanted to want to make sure that uh, we addressed it. We, All right. So, so yeah, go ahead. I was going to throw out this one from Shelly, too. We didn't we didn't end up talking about this one. 26 states, including Texas, are in support of Governor Abbott's decisions. Uh, majority of states are ruled by a stroke of a pen, held by a man about to have a stroke. That's not governing. Uh, throw, throwing out a little jab at, at Joe Biden there. Um, maybe I can't believe we had to talk about this. 
this week. I didn't have this on my my topic list either, but uh, I feel like you and I have delineated our our border crisis feelings pretty well. Um, that that I I'm more sympathetic to the people at, in the crosshairs of of um, feeling like their property rights are eroding. That that and I came up with a new way to add to it that there's too much property in the public sphere that we all own a piece of that we should have a, a that's another area where people are concerned. Um, we should on how would that go again? Okay. There's too much. The government owns too much property, right? Like, uh-huh. and, and we all own a piece of that arguably. So when the, the crisis lends itself to a, a certain amount of, I would say problems of people crowding into areas that are making our neighborhoods change their composure, um, which uh, I'm not sure how comfortable I am going down that road. Really, I think that one of the things that gets lost in this is that most of the migrants are human beings trying to get here to work, and that the issue has been preserved for decades. So I don't know. For me, it's always a conundrum. Like. I, I think that I understand where Texas is. Their their facilities are being overrun. Their their systems are being stressed to the max, and people are freaking out. Um, what do you think about that? I think it is an accurate observation that people are concerned about systems being stretched to the max. Um, they're concerned that there's a bunch of people who are crowding in the to some areas, particularly along the border, and the communities there don't have any way to legally like do something with them. And by do something with them, I mean like allow them to go and move on with their lives. Correct. Like like literally like because again like the government could say like, okay, you are allowed to go get a job and a home and get this assistance and like and then like move on with your life. Instead they make it difficult these folks end up kind of in stasis and then you as someone just living in the, the community are like why are all these people here just like standing around getting bored sometimes like you know causing issues sure and using the community's resources like what the hell and and you end up to me like the, the resentment ends up kind of falling on the wrong folks where sure. they end up resenting the people who are just there stuck in a weird situation because they're trying to improve their lives and then who they really should be mad at is the government who's preventing them from going out and being a productive member of the community. Um, yeah. um, I'm, I'm, I too am persuaded by the argument that um, a lot of this immigration is incentivized and that that is if we didn't have an incentivized system and we didn't have the constant threat of losing our individual property rights, that I would be an open borders guy. Right. Like that, if we had a government that protected our property rights, that immigration wasn't incentivized, then I could be an open borders guy. And I'm not a closed borders guy, but I think that there's a nuance there that is is important when we're trying to build rapport with people that aren't libertarians. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, nuance I, is not the right word. It's that's too soft of a word there. Too soft. <laughs> distinction i don't know yeah um but so mostly like the the issue specifically brought up is is like whether or not the government of texas should be able to construct 
uh, barriers to people entering the United States, uh, including using things like razor wire. And if the federal government has a right to remove those barriers that the government of Texas has put up. Right. Yeah, that's that's the issue this week. Sure. That, yeah. That's, like the, like the, like that's the, like the narrow in it. Like you're right. Like it is overall about like immigration. We've talked about immigration a bunch. And I, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna, we don't need to rehash that full thing. Like, I think you said your part. I've said my part. We're not going to do our full like hour discussion on it again. Maybe an or at least now. Show. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, yeah, exactly. We could probably do a whole other show on that. But this issue is interesting in that it not only is it about the, the, the macro issue of like immigration, it's also about what the authority of the federal government versus the state government is and whether or not a state government can prevent anyone from entering its border. Yeah. I mean, according to the Commerce Clause, it can't, right? Like, yeah, it can't it can't restrict in any way people from entering a state, right? Like because like imagine if like there were actual barriers to entry from states uh to states from other states. Didn't Cuomo try that and they actually actually had to like back off of it because he everybody freaked right the F out back in the COVID days. As they should, you know, like cause I I had made that that comparison to immigration before. Like like if if you decide New York sucks like so bad that you want to leave and many people do you can go down to north carolina or south yeah. carolina or florida west virginia so west virginia wherever you want to go in the us and imagine though if like you tried to drive down to florida and instead you got stopped with barriers and razor wire you're like you know listen like i got family down here i just want to go in for the lower income taxes and they're just like no we don't need any more of you liberals up here like or down here like stay home yeah. Go back to where you're from, and you're like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm basically one of you. Like, look, I, 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 I'm getting, getting away from that communist government up in New York, right? And they said, nope, no more. You're just ruining our state by coming here. Like, <laughs> like that's put yourself. Which they do sort of say that sometimes, yeah. but, but I think like you as a New Yorker should be able to flee as a political refugee, like down south. Like that's 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 my take on it. Is that if if one day I actually get sick enough of New York to be like, you know what, screw it, I'm going to to North Carolina or something, I should be able to do that. Yeah. And I I just don't think that there's any moral distinction between me doing that and someone from Venezuela doing the same thing. Mm. I I think that you're right. I I think that you're right. I think that that's a valid, very valid thought experiment to 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 put that out there. And I. I'm going to actually reflect on that for the next time we debate this issue so that I can find a way to kick your ass. <laughs> All right, because think that's, about really, it. that's a powerful Jeff point. Jeff going to be wrong. <laughs> so, look, check that out. Cody, did you miss last week when I went full Neville Chamberlain and I was pretty much ready to divide, you know, give Alaska to Russia and, like, just divide up Canada between us and Putin? Like, I'm, I'm there. We, we'll give Russia, Alaska... And we'll just divide up the rest of Canada on the contingency that Putin accepts all of the Trudeau supporters, which won't work if they build a wall. Like if if Vivek builds a wall, this this is going to be a problem. Theoretically, it, it might be. Dark Closet uh, of Mind asks a big question. Is it true that the Libertarian Party is on the ballot for president in all 50 states? It's not true. We lost no. ballot access in 2022 in new york state yeah and 
in in past presidential elections, even when the Libertarian Party has not had ballot access. So this includes like 2016. Um, the Libertarian Party did get on the ballot in New York State, right? Collected enough signatures to do it. And that might happen again. It's just right. that uh, the National Party has kind of started to signal, if not outright say, that they might not have the resources to do all 50 states this time. Because right. a lot of states need help. New York needed help to do that from the national party we we had an opportunity to get but regain ballot access um and be a legitimate party and arguably like i don't i don't know that there's another word for it we failed right like we failed we haven't had hard conversations about it as far as i know and so there you go that's where we're at in new york that's where it is um yeah, oh, let's see. He's got he's got a follow up. Yeah, um, I just heard them say on breaking points that they did, and that the Libertarian Party. Had, so look, if you want real news, you have to call, come to Kevin and I because yeah. like breaking points is not up to date on on the ins and outs of the Libertarian Party. Now, that's why I was asking earlier how much would it cost at, to to put yeah. a Libertarian candidate. Um, on the ballot in New York State this year, and I think it would cost like a million dollars. That's what I think. Yeah, and and that's that's again kind of the temptation of uh, among some libertarians to say like, hey, we should our nominate RFK Jr. because he is able to fundraise better and he can bring millions of dollars to get ballot access in all these states, and then maybe do well enough that he uh, gets ballot access in these states by winning enough percentage of the vote, like in New York. Correct. So. Arguably- yeah, so that's how it is. Like it, that that's the temptation. That's why some people like even if they don't agree with them, like if I'm being really nice to those folks uh who are being a bit cynical. Yeah. Uh yeah. That that's that's kind of the temptation for for yeah. RFK. Cynical, Jr. pragmatic, you know. Pragmatic. Yeah. Again, like it's it's the same type of reasoning. That's why people like Bill Weld. Yeah. Too. Like legitimately like that's like that's part of why Gary Johnson wanted him. He thought he brought legitimacy and respect and money to that process and that would be enough to make a big dent in that election yeah and that freaking guy voted for hillary clinton <laughs> that freaking guy just, just vouching was, for hillary oh such he, he i can't say enough bad things about him <laughs> <laughs> fair enough man uh i get it but yeah, I think that's we're gonna run into a similar situation if we if we have a uh, an RFK Junior, uh, you know, Nikki Haley ticket, like, yeah, I don't know. That would be I I I guess I would have to we'd have to form the party of real libertarians because that just wouldn't work. Um, I have to give a shout out for to Patty because she is our eye in the sky and our boots on the ground. She's the one that that steered me in the direction of the Department of Defense story, and I forgot to give her credit during the show. Um, yeah, thanks, Patty. She she deserves it, man. She deserves credit. She sends me these things, and they're great, and I appreciate it. And uh, so at least this one got in the main radio show, Patty. And I I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't give you credit for it. Uh, you know, I actually I got one that we didn't end up talking about today, but um, it was one uh, I, I was going to use as a fake news item. All right, real or fake? PSA: Stop eating fried toothpicks. Um, 
Okay. It, that's probably true. And I got to imagine it's probably actually for a good reason. Yeah. Uh, well, it's it's not for a good reason exactly. Like, oh. apparently, like, there's a bunch of, like, TikTok videos of, like, people frying up toothpicks uh, that started in, in South Korea. But in South Korea, toothpicks are a lot of times made from, like, cornstarch or potato starch. Oh, okay. Um, but in the U.S., they're made of wood. And so when it got picked up in the U.S., people kept frying, keep frying these wood toothpicks, and it's not the same. Not the oh same thing. Oh, my God. Hang on. I was talking about cheese sticks. Like no no toothpicks. Yeah okay. <laughs> All toothpicks. right. Don't yeah. People are frying toothpicks. Yeah don't don't. All right, hang on. Why would anybody deep fry? Like I'm trying to get to the bottom of this millennial. It's obviously millennials, right? Like maybe no, no, it's not the millennials anymore. It's 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 like younger Gen Z and Gen Alpha at All this right. point. Millennials are like, man, we're 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 in like. The, the drudgery of our jobs. We ain't got time to fry toothpicks. <laughs> ah, you'll always be a bunch of losers to me. <laughs> so no, it's the the kids these days. They're they're ruined. The Gen Zs, the Gen kids. Alphas. Don't know what Sorry, they're doing. Kevin, now I, I just think you know they'll be doing something stupid like eating Tide Pods. Yeah, you know, who, who knows? Um, but no, it's it's apparently a thing. But it's just confusion about like they're seeing these videos of people frying toothpicks, but they're videos from Korea where toothpicks are made of corn and like potato. Right. Um, starch and like they're like biodegradable and digestible if you like soften them up. Um, whereas in the U.S., they're made of birch. Usually, um, you, yeah. you should not try um, to fry and eat toothpicks. They're made of wood. Don't do I, it. <laughs> thank that whatever government agency came up with that public service announcement. Uh, I think I think that was Bon Appetit. Um, actually, okay. so so private sector d- doing that. Private one. sector came through. All right. Yeah, don't 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 eat toothpicks. That's it goes back to the discussion that we're having last week about the Department of Ag- Agriculture. Like, oh, if it weren't for us, people would be eating chairs and dirt and stuff. And and toothpicks, um, apparently. And toothpicks, yeah. Yeah. If if they had stepped in earlier, if if the FDA and Department of Agriculture had told us what to eat, you know, wouldn't be having this problem. Yeah, Kevin, I actually I got one last thing before we go. Bad news about uh the Venezuelan timeline, Kevin. Um, What's that? Well, I just, I think it's important to point out to everyone that in 1997, Venezuela was the second largest purchaser of the F-150, the Ford work truck. And I mean, right after that, things turned ugly. So I'm just saying. We gotta be careful. Gotta be careful. That's yes, that's the causation there. It's <laughs> that, not, nothing else. It was sales of the F one fifty started going up, and that's when the trouble started. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I made a tweet saying that government schools would would teach that as the causation. That that's yeah, right. that does that is me. I did do that. You did did that. Yeah, that's a that, that that's a solid tweet actually. <laughs> <laughs> to go find that, retweet it. It's um, pretty cool. It was pretty funny. I mean, it had me giggling all the way to work. Well, that's wild. All right. On that note, we should call it a night. Uh, thanks, thanks, folks, for listening. All the comments. Love them. Appreciate them. Uh, all you folks out there, Shelly, Cody, Patricia, John, don't know what your actual name is, Dark Closet of the Mind, but thanks for the comments. Um, 
Appreciate y'all being here. We're going to call it a night. Take care, folks. A free solution.